Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, Head of Global Markets at Society General in Australia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at markets for this week in Australia. The SX200 is up about three and a third percent at the moment. Markets in Japan are closed for a holiday. Uh, But the Cosby in South Korea is rallying up also about three percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to move up about one percent at the open. That's about 200 points on the index in the commodities markets. A little bit of a rebound on Brent crude oil this morning. It's trading at $29.87 a barrel. Gold is at $1,476 an ounce. And in the currency markets, uh, the US dollars at 111.2 against the Japanese yen and the poor old British pound is down at $1.15.4. That's the lowest level since 1985. Thank you very much for listening this week. Uh, do have a great weekend. Back chat's coming up after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, cloudy, a few showers and relatively low visibility. There's going to be some thunderstorms later and a maximum temperature of about 23 degrees. Fog during the weekend and then warm with sunny periods on Sunday and Monday. The temperature right now, 21 degrees and it's 85% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. Civic Party lawmaker Dr Kwok Ki says there was chaos at the airport yesterday because the government took so long to set up coronavirus testing centres for people flying back to Hong Kong. He says the government announced compulsory quarantine measures on Sunday, which took effect on Thursday, so it had five days to set up testing centres. He says one parent complained that her son was forced to wait at the airport for 18 hours because there were insufficient hospital rooms for testing. Italy has surpassed China as the country with the highest number of deaths from the coronavirus pandemic. The Italian total has climbed above 3,400, 160 more than China. For the second day running, more than 400 people died in a single day. Daniela Conflonieri is a nurse working at a hospital in Milan in the Lombardy region. We're all working in a state of very high stress and tension. Psychological tension has gone through the roof. Unfortunately, we can't contain the situation in Lombardy. There's a high level of contagion and we're not even counting the dead anymore. President Trump is expected to announce the temporary closure of the U.S.-Mexico border for non-essential travel. The emergency measures will be similar to the agreement the U.S. has with Canada, as the BBC's Barbara Pletusher reports. President Trump said earlier this week that on the southern frontier, he planned to invoke a rarely used law to halt the spread of contagious diseases, and that would authorize great latitude to tighten controls. Reports say under the emergency measures, migrants who crossed illegally would immediately be sent back to Mexico, including those seeking asylum. The department dealing with border security has warned about the danger of the coronavirus spreading through migrant detention facilities. The move would be in line with long-time arguments by immigration hawks for swift deportations and with the president's own periodic calls to shut down the Mexican border to stop the flow of migrants. You're listening to RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. We're going to be discussing in the first part of the programme this morning the expulsion of some American journalists from mainland China and from Hong Kong. What impact will that have on the flow of information inside and outside of China? And later in the programme, after nine o'clock, we're going to be talking more about the coronavirus and how different countries in Asia and Europe are dealing with the situation and how disease is connected to security issues. As ever, you can comment by emailing us, backchat at rthk.hk, by calling us, and our number is 233-88266, or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, and that's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. We look forward to hearing from you. Just before we get to our first topic then, some of the uh, emails that have come in uh, between programmes uh, as uh, ever. Uh, if you want to uh, comment on anything, then you can uh, send us a message, backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, and of course, don't forget the Facebook page, and then you can, uh, it's a good place for sort of longer messages perhaps, and for ones with links uh, or with uh, photos, they do lend themselves uh, to uh, Facebook. Um, uh, just, okay, uh, uh, let's maybe... Um, Danny, we take turns. Uh, here's one. Here's one. First of all, from uh, Bay. Uh, this is a, a an, an issue that I know is on a lot of people's minds. Maybe we'll get to it on on, on the Monday program. Uh, Bay says, "I can't believe that uh, public facilities such as gyms." Uh, haven't been closed. Uh, it wasn't surprising to finally hear a case had been found, two cases related to a gym, uh, a pure, uh, and they didn't immediately close. They actually encouraged its members to keep going as they had, quote, cleaned it out properly, unquote. Only after a petition was signed by many cardholders who pay an extortionate amount of money for membership did the gyms in Central close and we were notified. Central is driven by an expat community, many of whom have just returned from overseas to escape the chaos and the ones who, weren't, who aren't in isolation or self-quarantine are back at the gyms, which, as I said, I can't believe haven't been ordered to temporarily close during these times. That is one of those places where you won't see face masks around and you're constantly touching other people's equipment. Restaurants also feature people not wearing masks, yes, but there is much more distancing and opportunity for disinfecting. Should the government decide to do so, I'd hope cardholders would get an extension on their contract. Those thoughts from Bay. Thanks very much. And on the topic of masks, uh, Rick says, when did wearing masks become an obligation? The World Health Organization states it's not going to do much except if one has symptoms such as a cold. Also, where can you buy them? Well, Rick, they are available online now and I've also seen them in uh, shops in Wan Chai, among other places. Um, yeah, OK, and this is one from Phil B, uh, who says, The last few days uh, I've heard countless praise for the medical staff in UK, Italy and USA. They are correctly labelled as heroic. Sadly, the medical workers of Hong Kong, who went on strike early on when the virus hit us, cannot earn this praise. Shame on them. When Hong Kong really needed them, they tried to hold the government hostage. Let us hope they can regain our respect, as we are not out of the woods yet. That's from Phil B. And on the subject of quarantine, James says, would it not be a simple task for the Hong Kong government to take over the hotels at Disneyland, given that it's a 53% shareholder in Hong Kong International Theme Parks Limited? There can't be many, if any, people staying there overnight, given the current travel restrictions. 
Uh, and this is from John Kowloon, who says, according to an article in today's South China Morning Post, recent studies of the coronavirus show that on average, people with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, can expel or shed virus particles from their bodies for as long as 20 days, spreading it even before symptoms appear. Does this suggest that the 14-day quarantine, which has become the commonly accepted norm across the world, is too short? Question mark. That's from John Kowloon. And Francesco, uh, pointing to what he described as a mathematician who studies the spread of disease explains some of the figures that keep popping up in coronavirus news. As you may have seen this, there are some important figures on the thoughts on the numbers, especially the fatality rate calculation and the reverse calculation of the actual number of cases, not just reported cases based on the fatality rate. Uh, that, uh, if anyone's interested, that's an article in the New York Times and the, um, the headline is the coronavirus by the numbers. Okay. Anyway, to the... To the uh, there was one more? Sorry, go on. And one more for, uh, what, what, finally from Mark. Mark says, um, not sure if you're also referring to a press report, this, this one from the New Yorker, saying, have you seen this New Yorker article? I was curious why Italy was so hard hit early on post Chinese New Year. It appears the textile industry connection may have played a role. It does also talk to another negative impact. Delays by China may have had in had, the delays by China have had in reporting things from there into December. As so as such, hopefully, adds to the data points on why Central Europe needs to take this seriously. Thank you very much indeed, Mark. Thanks very much indeed. Once again, uh, our number 233-88266, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk to our first topic. Today, uh, Beijing has announced this week that staff from the New York Times, the uh, Washington Post and Wall Street Journal uh, will be uh, forced out of the mainland, uh, but also banned from working uh, in Hong Kong and Macau. The foreign ministry in Beijing said the issue was a diplomatic matter and something for the central government to deal with. Uh, others are concerned, including the Journalists Association, who said that uh, uh, American companies and foreign nationals in the city could, could become the next victims, in inverted commas, of Beijing's on going disputes with Washington and the SCR government has been stripped of its power to handle immigration matters. Responding to uh, these events, we're joined now by uh, Ho Lok San, the Pan Su Tong Shanghai uh, Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University and uh, Ilaria Maria Sala, journalist and writer based in, in Hong Kong. Uh, uh, Ilaria Maria Sala, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. What's your, what's your reaction? What do you think is the significance of, uh, uh, as I say, particularly the implications for us in, in Hong Kong with this decision by Beijing? Well, it's very significant, but also unprecedented. Um, we know that in China you need to be approved, you need to have... Uh, a press card to be registered as a journalist with the central authorities. And uh, the, the way in which the central authorities deal with the foreign media is very different from what happens in Hong Kong. And that has been until now one of the very, um, the very clear, diff like, it was part of one country, two systems, let's say. So in Hong Kong, journalists are considered like any other foreign worker, so as long as you have a working contract and you get residency with the permission to work here, uh, you can be a journalist as much as you can be a banker. There is no difference with the working visa that you get. Um, for Beijing to say this is uh, to change the game entirely. Um, 
some of those who have been expelled on top of it may be Hong Kong permanent residents. And uh, it's even less clear under what kind of ground, under what kind of law, a Hong Kong permanent resident can be told what he or she may or may not do as a profession here in Hong Kong by Beijing. I have the feeling from the way in which um, the Hong Kong authorities have reacted that this is not something that they knew beforehand, the, the bit regarding Hong Kong. And, uh, we haven't kind of uh, sound reply from them because what they have been saying here in Hong Kong is pretty much the standard according to law, um, one country, two systems. Basically, they've just been putting words out there that don't have really much of a meaning. So this is extremely worrying, and it's unprecedented. Why, why do you have um, the impression the Hong Kong authorities, you said that you have the impression the Hong Kong authorities didn't know in advance. Why, why do you have that impression? From the reply that they have given, because this is really a profound change in uh, practice until now but also the way in which the law in Hong Kong allows people to have a working permit that doesn't require a specific approval for that to be practicing journalism, unlike the mainland, where journalism is not considered like a job like any other. You so, also said, sorry, that you, you think that some of the expelled journalists are Hong Kong permanent residents. How, how, how confident are you of that? Because that would be a uh, fundamental issue if, if that is correct. Hong Kong I think there is uh, at least one person who would fall in that category. Because Hong Kong permanent residents can't be barred from Hong Kong. Perhaps uh, well, they, they couldn't be recognised as... The, the journalists that have been expelled are not barred from Hong Kong. They're barred from being journalists in Hong Kong, if I understand correctly. Of course, with the case of Victor Mallet, what we have seen is that he then was expelled from Hong Kong in a way that went counter for the that he holds a British passport that would have allowed him to come here without a visa anyway. And... Uh, Everything that has to do with immigration then immediately becomes pretty, pretty murky, as you know, because we've never had um, any case in which the immigration authorities have a reason. Their standard answer is that they don't comment on individual cases, and everything is an individual case as far as they are concerned. So if I am correct, and there is this one person who expelled and a Hong Kong permanent resident, I expect that they would allow the person to come in. I don't know how they would tell him that he cannot be a journalist. Well, they could refuse him admission to government press conferences and things like that, but that would be the limit to presumably um, the action they could take against an individual. Right. Is the act, I mean, the actions against the individuals, not the companies, not in some way they couldn't stop him or her being a journalist, not, not stop them being a journalist, but stop them being a journalist for the New York Times? Or the Washington Post, So, that's, I mean, the decision that has been taken by Beijing, it's not the first time that it leaves Hong Kong thinking, what does this really mean? How are we supposed to react? Is this new? Is it, I mean, in this case, it is very new. Um, 
I mean, I mean, journalists have been barred from Hong Kong, uh, Victor Mallet and, and, and so on. That's, yeah, but that's not because he, I mean, I, I, I don't think he's ever tried to get a visa for China since. But that wasn't the same kind of procedure. We have had in the past people who were picked out of the mainland, their visas were revoked, and they could come here and work from here. More than have done that. And uh, until now, Beijing didn't have a say on that, or choose not to have a say, or however we want to find a way to phrase it. But it used to be, and immigration used to be, and the, the fiction at least remains, that immigration is something that falls under Hong Kong jurisdiction. And that is for anyone who wants to come in. In the case of journalists, there is no special requirement for someone who has a foreign passport who wants to come to Hong Kong and work as a journalist as long as he or she has a working contract. Which is to say, it's the same requirements that you have for any other foreign, gov- uh, for any other foreign worker. Okay, uh, let's bring in um, uh, Professor Holok Sang now from the Pansutong Shanghai Kong- Hong Kong po- Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Uh, Professor Ho, good morning. Good morning. Uh, do you agree uh, with um, what's been said just now that there, there is, a, w- whether or not you support it, there is a change here. This, is ne- this has never happened before. The central government has never before said, well, um, we're expelling someone and they can't work in Hong Kong either. Um, yes, I think this is unprecedented. And uh, I also think this is very regrettable. But uh, we have to see it in the light of the background. Uh, at this time, uh, bilateral relations between America and China is at the, at the worst point ever since uh, uh, 1979 when uh, uh, dem- diplomatic relations were established. Um, as you can see, uh, you know, from the trade war and the Huawei um, Incident and uh, 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 and Meng um, Wanzhou, um, you know, and uh, and so on. You can see that this is a very very difficult time, you know, between uh, the two countries. And um, um, the this particular incident has uh, to be seen as a as a kind of tit for tat. Uh, uh, um, uh, action against uh, uh, America's uh, limit of uh, some Chinese journalists working in America in the first place, limiting the number and also having to uh, report uh, uh, different kinds of information to the um, to to the government, and this is also unprecedented. And um, I had hoped that, uh, that this tit for tat is similar, but uh, this is. Certainly, uh, more than uh, what America had imposed on on on, on Chinese journalists, uh, but uh, just as in the case of the trade war, you can see that um, um, uh, China could not reciprocate with uh, similar um, uh, actions. But when China uh, escalates, and then Ch- uh, America also escalates to an even greater extent, you see, and uh, uh, you, you you can see that this is kind of. Uh, uh, just a gesture of how uh, annoyed and how angry, you know, China is with America's uh, 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 attitude toward China. And, you, I, and I think uh, 
you, you have to see this in the, in the light of that. And, uh, and as far as that is concerned, um, 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 given that background, you can understand why, why, why China uh, did this. Can you also understand why people say this is a breach of the basic law? Under the basic law, Hong Kong has autonomy over immigration control, the entry and exit of foreigners into Hong Kong. Here the central government is, is, is laying down rules about um, which foreigners are allowed to work in Hong Kong. Um, I think this uh, is, a, uh, is an exception. Yeah, this is an exception and under very extreme uh, uh, conditions. Yes. Sorry, what does that mean? Though? So we have these um, rule, autonomy in the basic yeah. law, and then, then in extreme conditions, been, yeah. you can just make exceptions to them. So you can yeah, make exceptions to exception. them. Yeah, this is an exception, very exceptional circumstances. What, and, uh, what other exceptions? I, I, I wish this uh, didn't happen, and I had wished that uh, China had reciprocated uh, with similar actions, like uh, limiting the number of, uh, of uh, journalists and so on. You know, And I think... Uh, this is uh, a bit over, okay, what is appropriate, yeah. The, so, the, 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 the Journalists Association said that there was a danger that American companies and uh, foreign nationals are I think in, there, in Hong there, Kong. there shouldn't be any fear uh, about that, unless uh, America did something even more awful, and then China could, could do that, you know. But I, I, I hope this wouldn't happen, and I, I, and I don't really think that this will happen. Um, but you're saying this, in exceptional... Is, uh, not, 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 the, not the time, you know, for the two, two countries to fight like this. Mm. You, you know, this is a time for, for the two countries to work together. But, uh, um, um, you see, uh, 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 President Trump has been calling this uh, uh, um, uh, virus, uh, China virus and so on, you mm. know, and, that, and, and this is making uh, uh, the Chinese leaders very angry. So you're saying in exceptional circumstances, they... The I'm not saying that. I'm condoning this. I'm no, I understand that, yes. No, but, okay. but you're saying that in exceptional circumstances like this, um, the central government can, can take action no, over... No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. As I said, I do not condone this, and I wish that this had never happened, and I had wished that uh, China reciprocated with uh, uh, similar uh, actions and not ju not expelling the the journalists from 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 Hong Kong, and I'm saying that uh, uh, this is uh, uh, um, an expression of uh, anger and uh, you know uh, um, retaliation is certainly a form of retaliation, and uh, uh, I, I I hope that uh, America will. Uh, take action to uh, uh, for for redress, and then China will also take take this action back. I mean, Il Ilara and Maria Sala, you might get people who would say, uh, "Hey, uh, you know, America dragged Hong Kong into this by uh, by its politicisation and by its response to to, to the protests, and now uh, Hong Kong is in play, and uh, Hong Kong will be used and will become part of the area of conflict between um, the US and, and China because US made it so. Do you understand that? I um, I understand the, the reasoning. I am not sure that it is a good line of reasoning, also because it is a fact that we are all in this particular moment. Uh, faced with two leaders of the two major powers that are um, particularly 
indications particularly hard, um, that take decisions that have very significant uh, consequences, and they do so in a very delicate way. And as we were just saying now, there is this ongoing fight among the two superpowers. And uh, I don't think that it's a very helpful analysis once we start to say, oh, but America did it, so it's, now Hong Kong is in this situation, it's America's fault. Because we have to see what is happening here and what has been happening here in the past years and what has happening for journalists in China in the past years. Even when Obama was there, Obama was not taking fights in the same way. Being a journalist in China has been extraordinarily difficult for many years. It has become increasingly more so, especially under the evening. And uh, journalists have been expelled. Visas have not been renewed. Uh, visas have been rejected way before there was any protests of the scale we have seen since 2014 in Hong Kong. So there is an escalation, and the escalation is such that everything is stronger. However, the way in which Beijing has always seen the foreign media is not something that we can blame on Trump well, okay. saying or doing. Well, let me, let, me, let me put it like this. Do you think that the coverage in the New York Times, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal of the protests uh, in Hong Kong was really neutral, was was completely fair, and was completely, uh, e you know, treated both sides equally? Or do you think that it came down pretty strongly on the yellow side? I don't think it's the point of this question. You don't expel or not expel someone because you like or dislike their coverage, or because you approve or don't approve their coverage. What, the, the whole point of being well, you kind of do, because that's what America is doing. Frankly, that's what every country in the world does. Uh, if... Ah, no. On that, okay, on that I disagree, because one thing that we do have, if we look at American media, is a free media. You may not like the New York Times, go to Fox. You're not going to hear anything the same way. Um, yeah, but you, but you know, but on, but on Hong Kong, whether you go to Fox or whether you go to liberal sources, you're going to hear the same line on Hong Kong. Uh, not so much. I disagree with that. There's been a number of uh, uh, very left-wing publications that were going on uh, the conspiracy theory and who are these guys. But really, I think this, to a large extent, this is an irrelevant uh, Point. The point is not whether we think that their opinions differ from the accepted one. That's not how you decide whether a journalist is a journalist or not. Were they fact-based? Were they interviewing people? But, and plus, this is the free media. They decide how they approach the subject. And whether they were too yellow or too blue, that's really... I don't see the point of that. Okay, uh, listen, uh, Professor Ho, um, you, you, you said um, you, you, you're worried Hong Kong is caught in the middle between China and the US. I think that's a fact. That's a fact already. You know, that is, uh, that's what hap what's happening. Uh, you, 
I'm not saying this good. Uh, this uh, uh, I'm not justifying uh, a- anything, but uh, this is just a, a fact that we we observe. And you hope it will from, get from be- all the science, yeah. You hope it will get better, but we have to be prepared for the possibility it will get worse, right? Yes, uh, but uh, um, I think uh, things will not automatically get worse unless uh, America uh, uh, does something that uh, makes China even angrier. You know, um, okay, let's just, just I, suppose I, I, I that happens. If, uh, if America doesn't aggravate the, the situation, then China wouldn't do it. Just suppose that happens, you could see China take more step countermeasures which involve Hong Kong, like this one. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible, but, uh, but, uh, but I think there are some, some uh, 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 boundaries, you know, but uh, um, um, China, China tries to limit you know, the damage, uh, uh, just pinpointing these three media. And uh, China is, uh, is not doing more, but if America does more, then China is going to do more. And I think that's regrettable, but uh, that's just the, uh, the nature of politics. Okay, well, Herlok Sang, many thanks for, for, for joining us. Uh, as mentioned, Pan Su Tong, Shanghai, uh, Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. And thanks to Ilaria Maria Sala, a journalist and writer uh, based in, in Hong Kong. We're going to be talking about uh, the response in uh, Europe and about uh, also about disease and uh, security issues in Asia in the second part of the programme. As ever, give us a call. Join the conversation, 233-88266. Or you can email backchat at rthk.hks. Says, referring to an earlier email shame that Phil B has completely misunderstood the reasons for the Hong Kong medical workers going on strike they did it as the government refused to close the borders it's unimaginable what would have happened if those steps were not taken other governments are being pragmatic the public still sees our medical workers as heroes for serving the public and for taking sensible steps that comes from S the weather cloudy with a few showers and relatively low visibility with some isolated thunderstorms later 21 degrees now humidity is at 80 beginning of a change to the curve and then uh, a peak maybe in april or may but you know but the point is in all of this that you know whatever here listening to their radio watching television wants is some kind of guidance some kind of information some kind of knowledge about how long they are likely to be locked up and there is no answer you're listening to the news on rthk Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and uh, me, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, as ever, you can email backchat at rthk.hk with your questions, comments, your thoughts, your observations. Very welcome. Or you can give us a call on 233-88266. We were talking in the first part of the programme uh, today about the uh, expulsion or effective expulsion of those journalists from uh, some uh, American newspapers, uh, not only from uh, Hong, from uh, the mainland, but also from uh, Hong Kong. We were talking the implications uh, of that. If you've got any thoughts on that, uh, please share them with us. We're turning in the second part of the programme today to a little bit of a, a wider view, a sociological uh, approach to uh, some aspects of the coronavirus. We're joined by uh, Emily Tran, who's an assistant professor and course director for the European Studies programme, the French Stream at the Baptist University, and Nicholas Thomas, who's associate professor from City University's Department of uh, Asian and International Studies and interested in uh, 
security issues uh, and infectious disease, as ever, backchat at rthk.hk. And on Facebook, uh, TC saying, um, in the US-China trade war, one of the issues I agree with the American side is reciprocity. While the People's Daily is free to conduct journalism in the US, the New York Times can't do the same in China. Okay, Andrew F. says, Beijing's tit-for-tat decision to expel journalists in response to America recently expelling some of theirs is obviously a concerning development, which was rightly condemned. Moreover, it was a frankly bizarre move to supposedly get back at Trump for his attacks on China and his Chinese virus shtick, because he himself labels the publications in question fake news and totally dishonest, even going as far as to repeatedly label what he calls the failing New York Times and Amazon Washington Post as the enemy of the people. Perhaps Beijing are trying to make Trump jealous with their expulsions. And there's a smiley emoji there. Uh, whatever the reason, it was wrong and so rightly condemned by the pandems in their statement. However, when they went to fret on, or went on to fret about what this might do to Hong Kong's economy and lament that we've dropped out of Heritage Foundation's top places in the world to do business, I nearly fell off my chair. These are the people that have cheer-led a movement whose every efforts are expressly designed to bring Hong Kong's economy to its knees in order to force the government hand. International brands aren't deserting the Hong Kong shores in droves over press freedom, which we very much still have here. They're leaving because you are literally smashing up their stores. It's just unbelievable. That comes uh, from uh, Andrew F., uh, Paul H. says, President Trump calls the COVID-19 the China virus because it came from China. It's as simple as that. Can people please stop politicising this outbreak? What next? Do we need to apologise to the Spanish for the 1918 flu? Should the term German measles be removed because it's racist? And that's the thoughts of uh, uh, Paul H. Craig on Lantau says, let's see how Peking responds when US media companies employ foreigners with permanent residency rights in the Hong Kong SAR. Surely a permanent resident can't have their job roles defined by Peking uh, or be deported. That comes from Craig on Lantau. Well, it seems as if that might be the situation. So well, it's a very, very interesting issue that was raised in the first half of the programme that mm. well, possibly one permanent <coughs> resident is uh, among those that were, were affected by the ban. Uh, and another email from uh, Martin. Martin says, How come Backchat never invites an epidemiologist or medical expert from mainland China? to talk about their experience with the COVID-19 outbreak and the mainland's current measures to prevent a second wave. You can easily find interviews from mainland medical experts, doctors and ordinary residents on YouTube and many international TV channels, but not on RTHK. Instead, RTHK has local and Western experts and non-experts like uh, Dr. Kwok Ki, because his po focus is on politics first. They all have an opinion on China, but most likely have not been in China for years and were not involved in developing mainland China's strategy to fight the COVID-19 epidemic. Also, many of your listeners and guests seem not to fully understand the comprehensive measures China has put in place to prevent a second wave of infections, while the country restarted its economy and people returned to work. If China were faking its new infection numbers, you would see that already all over the country. Factories would have shut down again, hospitals would be overwhelmed again. You would have heard about it from multiple sources and social media already. This is impossible to cover up and to fake. China simply can't afford to have its hard-fought containment undone by becoming careless and lowering its guard and containment measures. For the Backchat team, you can start by watching a video by Japanese director Takushi Ryo. This offers a comprehensive look into Nanjing's virus prevention measures after the lockdown restrictions have been lifted, and there's a link to that on YouTube. Measures for other mainland cities in Guangdong province and factories and offices are similar. 
Wouldn't it be really useful to get some mainland China experts, or at least people who live in China, on the show to share their experiences on current containment measures and what has been done to prevent a second wave of infection? We might be able to learn one thing or the other on how to prepare for the next couple of weeks and months. Thank you very much, Martin and Hugh. We would be happy to have a mainland epidemiologist if they speak, could come on, if, if they're allowed on and speak English. If they're allowed on, bearing in mind, of course, that the RTHK is blocked uh, in, <laughs> in the mainland, uh, so you can't hear this program here at all. Obviously, you can hear it and you can access it in places like uh, Canada. Um, uh, yeah, they'd be very welcome. And, and, and they spoke English and they were able to, to meet these, these time slots. Uh, if, as you say, there are some people on YouTube, I haven't been able to find those, you, you, you know, English. English speakers, presumably, who who've been doing this kind of in uh, a lot of, of that uh, stuff on YouTube please, is, is subtitled. Uh, yeah, I would love to uh, please Martin if you if you've got time, you seem to have some time free time. Um, then you're very well. Please, please uh, do us a favour and um, send us those those links and, we'll and the contact them. details. We'll, yes. We will. We know we will try and we'll try and try and track them down uh, and do what we can. A um, uh, couple more emails just before we get to the, the, the main topic today. Uh, James just has a link to a, a post story about uh, a big trouble in Italy's little China as authorities crack down on sweatshop factories and vigilantes. That's, I think, referring to the um, uh, basic underlying relations between Italy uh, and China. Uh, and um, Alan says the Premier of Tasmania is mandating quarantine against any arrivals on the island. Uh, including other parts of Australia. He didn't need doctors to go on strike or permission from the capital, but oddly, no one is saying that Tasmania is separatist or racist against mainlanders. Uh, that comes uh, from Alan. Once again, backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, oh, here's one from John, who says, The intellectual contortions of your guest show the clearly the problem of patriotic Hong Kongers who don't want to criticise China, particularly when it's a great power tussle with the USA. But apart from whataboutism and attributing all the responsibility to the Trump administration's odious bluster and rhetoric, the underlying fact remains that with this anti-journalist measure, the Xi Jinping regime has smashed yet another important pillar of Deng Xiaoping's wise one country, two systems. This time, the exception that resulted in Hong Kong's autonomy being trampled was made because of the diplomatic tit-for-tat with the US. And next time, if the President of France decides to see the Dalai Lama again, will that result in another exception? If the Canadians refuse to hand over an influential Chinese when Beijing demands, will that result in an exception? Beijing implicitly now threatens to make Hong Kong collateral damage in every one of its diplomatic spats. That comes from uh, John M. OK, um, we have uh, Emile Tran, who's uh, assistant and Professor and Course Director for European Studies Programme at the French Stream at Hong Kong Baptist University and uh, Nicholas Thomas, Associate Professor at City University's Department of Asian and International Studies here with us. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, uh, Emile Tran, let's start with you first. I mean, uh, let's talk about the situation in France, which really does seem almost spiralling out of control, doesn't it? We're talking about, I think, what, 11,000 or so cases now, record death rates. And yes, Extraordinary yes, measures being taken in France to uh, stop people going on the streets. Yes, you are right. As of last night, we have 10,995 uh, cases, confirmed cases. We have over uh, 4,400 who are hospitalized, more than 1,000 who are in very serious uh, conditions in intensive care, and uh, over 5,000 who are at home uh, are confined. Uh, so we, we have these uh, growing numbers in France. It is quite uh, worrying. And uh, following the uh, President's Macron announcement uh, a couple of days ago about uh, being at war against the, the virus, the government has enacted a series of uh, measures because the government has already projected a loss of 1% of the GDP 
GDP growth for two, uh, 2020. Uh, therefore, the uh, measures uh, relies on, the, for example, deferring or cancelling the taxes for supporting partially uh, unemployment, temporary unemployment, because a lot of shops are closing, restaurants are closing. Uh, we are talking also about uh, setting up a solidarity fund. We are also talk talking about uh, delaying the payment of certain invoices and uh, guaranteeing um, uh, business loans for those businesses to, uh, to try to uh, make their ends meet. And last night, President Macron has also tweeted uh, a 5 billion euro um, fund to, uh, to boost the research and the scientific research. But uh, this is to be spread on 10 years, the next coming 10 years, while the research and the uh, scholarly academy has been under great uh, budgetary pressure in the past few years. So this is very much welcome. So it's very, very serious, um, but yet we're still hearing reports of people out partying in the Paris and out on the beaches and people not wearing face masks. Yes, you. That, that, that's very true. That has been true for, uh, until uh, very recently. So um, uh, French people are well known for not being very reasonable, not very disciplined, uh, and therefore uh, are following the announcement of the uh, government to, to say that uh, it would be like a confinement people were on the restaurant terrace and in the uh, city gardens in order to enjoy uh, life, maybe possibly thinking before it ends, uh, before the confinement really starts. But uh, uh, as a matter of fact, these people also refuse to go to vote in the municipal election last Sunday. So they wanted to say the government something here. Are people uh, abiding by those regulations? Because I hate to read different accounts of whether people really are staying home and filling in their forms and behaving like good yes, citizens. Yes, yes. Uh, Exactly. <laughs> uh, up until early this week, it was not the case, but it has become the case now. We, the government has uh, issued laws to increase the fine uh, over 300 euros, up to 1,000 euros, depending on the uh, infringement. So I think this uh, policing attitude, we have a lot of uh, police checks, a lot of fines being given in the past two days. So this has helped the people to become more civilized. Is France only a week or two away from becoming another Italy? I mean, you look at what's happening in Italy right next door, or what's it, 28,000? Yes, yes. Uh, That's true. We, we are looking at that. Um, the hospitals and uh, doctors are under great pressure. The, for the past few years already, uh, France uh, public health services have been uh, under budgetary cuts as well. And uh, the doctors are paying the consequences of all those cuts. Teams that, are, that used to be 15 people, they are not only three people. Uh, working. So we are looking at this wave, we are bracing for this wave to come with uh, lesser uh, um, financial means and lesser uh, human resources. Of course, Macron's not very popular or has not been very popular domestically. I mean, you might see parallels almost here with Hong Kong, where we have a very unpopular government as well. Um, does that make it more difficult for Macron and the French government to actually take these kind of measures when he was already so unpopular before? Yes, you, you are right. Um, Macron has become very unpopular following the uh, yellow vest crisis. And it, it, this could have been an opportunity for him to appear as a charismatic leader again, as he used to be in the uh, presidential campaign, but the fact is that the discourse, the speech he delivered in front of 25 million viewers uh, was not very convincing. He pronounced the word war uh, several times without saying the uh, one time the word confinement. So he didn't give very specific uh, guidelines and we were expecting from a war leader to give very specific orders. 
Is the how strong is the connection? Do you think in French minds between this and and China? Is this is, is this spoken of as the Chinese? This is a Chinese virus. Virus. And would so French on? would French people say that? The would same they, yes. they don't share much with Trump, but maybe this one they would. Unfortunately, there has all, uh, there has been this uh, latent uh, discrimination, racism in uh, France uh, against the Asians. You know, we uh, they are viewed as being uh, um, low profile, hardworking, uh, keeping their head down for everything and uh, this uh, latent uh, racism has just uh, exploded uh, basically so we see shops restaurants being targeted painted you know get off virus uh, go back home by virus uh, in uh, at schools before they close down we have a lot of asian uh, children who were targeted insulted uh, we hear a lot of reports uh, from parents from associations so uh, and um, associations collectives of people have reacted very strongly uh, putting up some uh, educational uh, clips, uh, funny videos, and also uh, intervention, uh, personal intervention to actually prevent and uh, to uh, fight against this uh, spark of racism. From Britain, we heard a lot of reports of Hong Kong people were scared to put on masks and that they get, they get attacked if they wear masks. And there were one famous case of that happening. Is there anything similar in France that Asians are actually worried that uh, presumably they're the main people wearing face masks? That they're worried that, um, that they're actually, the situation will be worse for them if they Exactly. You know, my mom lives in uh, in uh, Paris, and uh, her neighbors, whom she she's been knowing and living with for twenty five years, they don't take the lift with her anymore, and uh, she's afraid of wearing masks, although she's got plenty, uh, because otherwise she she will be even more visible and be uh, targeted. She's yes. Asian. She's Asian. Yeah. Mm. She's Asian. Okay. Uh, well, uh, also with us, as I say, is uh, uh, Associate Professor from City University, Nicholas Thomas. First, Thomas, good morning to you. Thank you morning. very much indeed for, for joining us. So, I, I, and your, one of your research areas and areas of interest, as I understand it, is, is uh, security and, uh, uh, and infectious disease, especially yes. uh, in, in this region. So, um, you're a busy man at the moment. <laughs> you're right in the middle of it, aren't you? Um, it's, I mean, I first worked in this field. Uh, Back in 2003 with SARS, um, I was doing some work here as a consultant on a project for the Central Policy Unit when SARS and then avian flu broke out and I was working on the reports for those. And it just sort of spiralled after that. Um, but it's interesting that now that we're talking about a coronavirus and the moment we say China, it has that latency um, amongst a lot of populations here but also overseas um, in, the, in the West as well. And so that legacy from SARS has never really gone away. Um, we see similar attitudes, similar issues in terms of public trust um, in government institutions needing to be there in order to have effective responses. Um, but I think that you know, if I look back from SARS to now, I think the, the key difference we see between Asia and the West is that Asia has been socialized, East Asia in particular has been socialized by the experience of SARS, later on MERS, um, for a while there, um, a few years back, we were worrying about another influenza outbreak in, in China, the H7N9 virus as well, um, which didn't cross the borders, thankfully. But there's this legacy, um, and we see it here, in, I think, in Hong Kong quite strongly, that when there is a bad flu season or there is a new infectious disease circulating, people put on face masks as a matter of course. I mean, they just do this. Um, and I think in that sense... Is that wrong? Is that wrong? 
Well, the WHO has given the guidelines um, saying that you should not be wearing a face mask um, unless you're looking after someone who's sick or unless you're in an exposed situation. And that's an accurate reflection. Well, I think they said you don't need to. I mean, I mean you don't need to, yes. Yeah, that's that's a slight, that is slightly rather different from you should not, right? Well, um, you don't need to. But at the same time, it does promote the idea of social distancing. And I think the social distancing aspect is what we see in Hong Kong society quite a lot. Um, and that's good uh, because it helps to sort of limit the spread, the possible spread of the virus. People are much more um, aware now of fomites when they're touching surfaces. Um, should they use gloves? Should they use a piece of paper? That sort of thing. You're starting to see it's coming out more and more. And this is particularly concentrated in the countries that were exposed to SARS. I mean, Taiwan's response, for example, which has been exemplary and very, very robust, um, is a legacy from the SARS days. Um, equally, you know, I think when you look, for example, at what Mexico is doing now, Mexico reacted very, very quickly to the H1N1 um, pandemic in 2009, which didn't turn out to be so bad for them. Um, and so this time around, they're actually holding back. You've still got, there was a Guns N' Roses concert on the other night. Um, you've still got free movement of people. You've got no shutdown. So it's sort of interesting in our part of the world, um, in our countries around us, Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea, here in Hong Kong, there's this legacy issue that sort of comes through quite strongly. In other countries where there's no legacy issue, such as Europe, or there's a negative legacy issue from the SARS times, um, or for other, from other pandemics, you have very different public health responses at the level of society. And I think that's what makes it quite interesting. Is it uh, anything to do with Confucianism? Is it anything to do with the structure of a society? Is there, no. I think so. No, um, it's not about um, Confucianism. It's not a, even about uh, regime just, types Yeah, just expand. I mean, I mean, people in Hong Kong, and especially in Japan, of course, do wear masks a lot and have, have for mm. a long time have, have worn masks. Um, more than other places in the world. Um, and uh, very often uh, uh, people will wear masks because they feel unwell and they don't want the, they want to stop other people feeling mm. unwell. So it's a kind of social uh, obligation or a social nicety. It's a social it's a sign of respect to other people uh, to wear a mask. Mm. Uh, uh, is this a continuation of that that in fact this is a sign of a social cohesion and a sense of responsibility to other members? I would say it's definitely an aspect of social cohesion. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to highlight it with a Confucianist aspect, however. Okay. Okay. Our number is two three three eight eight. Yes. Sorry, Emily. Trying. Yes. Can, can I can add yeah. something today? You know what day it is? Today no. is the twentieth. Yes, 20th of March is the World Francophonie Day. So today the Francophone world is celebrating its 50th uh, anniversary. And in order to uh, to uh, celebrate this, uh, not through entertainment and cultural shows, this year the uh, HKBU student joined forces with the uh, French Chamber Foundation in order to set up a crowdfunding platform to collect money in order to buy masks and hygienic kits uh, in order to uh, distribute it to the needy and to the working poor of Hong Kong people here. Oh, so who's organizing that? The, the so, uh, the, uh, no, the French Chamber Foundation. So the French Chamber Foundation is the foundation, the charity of the French Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong with the European Studies French students. Okay. All right. Thank the, you. The, the, <laughs> thanks for that. Okay. We've got, we got uh, I think, Mike on the line now. Mike, good morning. I was just going to go have some Chinese food, but I, I just didn't want to be racist. Should yeah. we call it, should we start calling it something else? If we go to eat some French food, should we really 
I think you know, you're, not being, uh, you're not being original there, Mike, I have to say. Uh, didn't a U.S. president make exactly the same point in his press conference yesterday? In fact, you seem you know, to be well, repeating almost word for word what he said, didn't he? Uh, do, do we have to come onto this program and have original thoughts? But, uh, I think it is, it is interesting that the U.S. president did say that probably, what, uh, 12, uh, 15 hours ago? Exactly the same point. I, I think so. You know, you haven't read one of my emails, and I think it's interesting. And it's... You know, it's a not a, it's a conspiracy theory, but it's not. Um, China doesn't have any. No, they had no infections yesterday. They had no deaths yesterday. Yep. So they're doing a good uh, job. Yeah, they're doing a they're doing a good job. Uh, two weeks after they were dr they were dragged kicking and screaming to sign a trade agreement that they didn't like. This is all taking place. If you look at financially, actually in the world, China's doing really well. Sorry, you're trying to suggest that they started the... I'm saying don't look at the shiny object. Look at the entire world picture. Join the dots. You... Yeah, no, if, you're, if you're looking at the world picture and you're looking at... You know, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, come on, Mike. Um, we're old friends. Let's let's be explicit about this. You're you're suggesting that the disease was started deliberately, or something? Is that is that right? I'm be... not saying that, but I'm saying that you're if, raising if the you're, possibility. If you're looking at, if you're only looking at the numbers, and if you're only looking at, uh, uh, if you're looking at the, you know, the big world picture, and how does China recover so quickly? And they only have what three, four thousand people die. You look at you look at January before this all took place. There was like eight to ten thousand people died from the from the uh, uh, the uh, influenza B. Mm. This is uh, mm -hmm. and why is it just? I mean, there are some a lot of un, there's a lot of questions that uh, this whole picture. If you're looking at if you wanted to shut down America. I mean, look what's happened. You know, okay. if, if, if you want okay, to okay, throw yeah. Trump, look at what's happened. Okay, Mike, um, thanks, for, thanks for your thought, uh, Don't as ever. Don't look at the shiny object, always. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, not the shiny object. Um, that's, that's Mike. Uh, and number 233-88266. Um, uh, Professor Thomas, okay, um, what what is going to be the, I mean... I, I, I don't know how you would uh, kind of describe some of the impacts. I mean, on the world stage, the economic impact. Um, America is talking about the strong possibility of a 20% uh, unemployment rate uh, and so on. What do you envisage? Do you have any sense of what the fallout might be, say, in this region, in the uh, East Asian region? Yes. If I had a crystal ball, um, <laughs> I'd be a lot wealthier. Um, I think that the key challenge we're looking at um, – with China in particular, is the restarting of the consumer market as a major contributor to economic growth. Um, and I think, in a way, that's the key challenge that China is facing, and that has implications then in terms of supply chains um, for how the rest of the region recovers. We need this economic stimulus coming out of China to then boost, help boost um, Chinese spending. Now, What's going to be interesting coming forward is that China has managed to stop um, the deaths for now, but now you've got huge numbers of people coming into the country, bringing with them potentially, and we've already seen this, to be fair, in Beijing and in Guangdong and Shanghai, um, imported cases. And so the question is, 
um, whether or not someone's going to be asymptomatic coming through and they're going to slip through the detection net and you're going to start to have some mini clusters occurring or not, which will weaken any sort of economic recovery out of China just simply because, again, of, of latent fear of the virus. Now, this is one area where, because of everything China has done post about January 2021, um, sorry, January 20th, January 21st, um, is that they've now got all the detection equipment and people have been socialised and public health officials have the protocols to start to detect and quite quickly contain these um, imported cases. But whether they're going to be completely successful is the next question in terms of regaining consumer confidence so people can go out and spend money and we're going to start to see the factories sort of coming back to full capacity. Could it be, um, if, if, or if that does all work, mm. that this part of the world will be uh, will be ahead of the curve, you know, that we were... We I think it's more, almost but, undoubtable. Mm. Um, this is something that was raised early by Emily. And will that antagonise the US? Antagonise, no. I don't see why. But hopefully actually promote be a bit because, of policy because, coordination. Yeah, because Trump might like to, uh, you know, point fingers. Well, um, as we saw, we, had a, we had a caller just now saying, can it surely be a coincidence that um, um, China's coming out of this so well? It, it's not. Uh, and earlier on, he'd been, say, he'd been repeating what the US president had, um, had been saying uh, yesterday. It's not so impossible to imagine the US president saying similar things in, in a, few, a few weeks' time. Sure, but if you look at the public health system in the US, which has been continually underfunded, you look at the way the pandemic team was dis disbanded when President Trump came in. Yeah, but that's my point. There would be even more jealousy towards... Uh, um, if China's come out of this relatively well and the situation in the US is deteriorating even further, there'll be even more jealousy about that and or it'll a be tendency a, to lash, lash out. Or it will be an impetus to actually get some coordination going in the US. I mean, every single state in the US has its own public health rules, its own public health laws. There's no overall coordination. I mean, this is... That would be the logical solution. Do you really have confidence that the logical, rational solution will prevail there? I think that when people start dying, then it... Yes, there's an impetus to go back to logic rather than rhetoric and ideology. Okay. Uh, did you yes. want to comment? Uh, no, about the second wave you mentioned, the, uh, Nick, uh, it is true that France is bracing for, uh, for a peak of the epidemic by mid-May to, mid uh, to end of May. And President Macron has already hinted yesterday that confinement measures will extend beyond the end of March. Because, of course, in Italy, we thought a few days ago that it had peaked, and then we discovered that it hadn't. I mean, there were, there were some signs that it was reaching a peak, and then we discovered it keeps climbing up, so we really don't know how high it can go in European so, countries. So the idea for France is to uh, make the wave flat, yeah. Yeah, rather than having a big peak, rather having a long wave uh, that is flatter. Okay, yeah, we'll have to hope so. A uh, couple of comments, uh, a few comments to, to finish off. Uh, just uh, two emails saying, uh, don't let Mike on the air. Uh, <laughs> I'm cutting out some of the other bits. Um, uh, but Mike, uh, in an email himself, says CEO of uh, Adidas said that they've, their factories are 100% back online. Look how fast China has come back. That's uh, uh, Mike's uh, observation. Uh, Peter M., referring to our first discussion today, said the sound of uh, Holok Sang shifting uncomfortably as he ex 
explained that it's understandable for the mainland government to ride roughshod over the basic law and ignore the role of the Hong Kong government because China is angry with the US was unedifying. It seems that no one even knows what the expulsion of journalists really means in Hong Kong, particularly if any of them are permanent residents. And China is apparently unconcerned about that. It was also unedifying, although not surprising, see Alice Mack of the FTU announced on TV that this is a matter of foreign affairs and so within the purview of the mainland government. Uh, do the supporters of this expulsion really want to lend their support uh, to uh, the consequence of uh, uh, being a nail in the coffin of uh, one country, two systems? That comes uh, from uh, Peter M. Sorry if I mangled that in the editing. And uh, Andrew F. says, leading aside that Spain and Germany are countries not ethnicities what we did a hundred years ago seems a poor justification for what we do now perhaps your correspondent who just did that would like to revoke women's voting rights by that logic chinese is of course an ethnicity as well as referring to people from a certain country so when trump deliberately conflates the two in a dog whistle appeal to his knuckle dragging base it puts people i know and care about in danger not just discriminatory danger physical danger sadly in some cases no one felt the need to rebrand dengue, Zika or Ebola after the countries from which they originated. In the interest of consistency, will Trump also be rebranding H1N1 or swine flu, the virus that went on to spread around the world, killing 600,000 people, the American virus, given where it first took root? Let's wait and see. That uh, comes from Andrew F. Thank you very much indeed to uh, everyone who emailed and uh, joined in the discussion today and uh, to our guest this morning, to uh, Emily Tran, Assistant Professor and Course Director for European Studies Programme, the French Stream at the Baptist University, and to Nicholas Thomas, Associate Professor from the City University's Department of Asian and International Studies. Danny, many thanks to you. Uh, that's it for the programme for this week. Back at 8.30 on Monday, the weather cloudy with a few showers and relatively low visibility. Isolated thunderstorms around later, 21 degrees at the moment and the relative humidity at 85%. On the internet, anyone can publish anything. Even if it seems true, doesn't mean it is true. Even if someone is popular, doesn't mean you should believe what they say. So, take a look from different angles. Check the facts before jumping to conclusions. Try not to let emotions sway your judgment. When fake news goes viral, it can have severe repercussions. So, check the facts to keep fake news in check. 934, the news now with Samantha Mutlam. Civic Party lawmaker Dr Kwok Kaki says there was chaos at the airport yesterday because the government took so long to set up coronavirus testing centres for people flying back to Hong Kong. He says the government announced compulsory quarantine measures on Sunday, which took effect yesterday, so it had five days to set up testing centres. Italy has surpassed China as the country with the highest number of deaths from the coronavirus pandemic. The Italian total has climbed above 3,400, 160 more than China. For the second day running, more than 400 people died in a single day. The mainland has reported another three coronavirus deaths and 39 imported cases. There were no new local cases. And India has executed four men for the gang rape and murder of a woman on a bus in Delhi in 2012. The four were hanged before dawn at Tihar Jail in the Indian capital. I'll have more.